So you will acknowledge then it is possible mm-hmm. that there could be a musical that had really good music in it and then you might enjoy that particular picture. It is possible. Okay. So, so take- what I'm hearing okay. is that you just haven't seen no. enough musicals no. and we need to watch no. more musicals because, no. until you find no. the one that has the right no. music because to win you over. The musicals that you have me watching are these sort of stodgy Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Low <laughs> shit. It's like, that's not good soulful music. It just isn't. That's not going to be something that I'm going to listen to later. Now, I am like one of the last people on planet Earth that has not seen or heard Hamilton. Right. And yeah. I have heard I am, that people... I'm the other one. Yes. So I have heard that people really love the music of Hamilton. Because we don't have $1,200 right. to spend on <laughs> just, Hamilton But I think tickets. you could just get like the soundtrack to it or the score. Yeah, you whatever. can. Yeah. Um, but I would rather see... And I just haven't mm-hmm. seen it. But I've heard that the music is amazing and it is possible that that exists. Okay. So when they do the inevitable film of Hamilton... Right. We can watch that and... Possibly. Yes. Discuss it for the podcast. Sure. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic. A podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, here in the room where it happens, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. How are you today, dear? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question anymore. <laughs> That's fair. If you're joining us for the first time, the usual premise of the Unenthusiastic Critic is that each week we sit down for Nakia's first viewing of a movie that nearly everyone else on the planet has already seen. However, this week we're sitting down together to experience for the first time a show that nearly everyone on the planet except us has already seen, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, an American Musical. But first, Nakia, I think we should probably acknowledge that we are coming off a long hiatus. Yes. Uh, It's been just shy of six months since we released our last episode. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't really a planned sabbatical, but I think we needed a rest. Mm -hmm. And then we got busy with other things, and then there was that whole global pandemic, racial justice revolution thing happening, and we got a little distracted. A little bit. How was that break for you? Did you miss it? I did not. No. I think I missed it in the sense that, you know, the podcast was, you know, during a simpler time. (laughs) 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 Uh, But I have to say, it hasn't been front of mind the past four or five months because of everything else that's been going on, so. Well, I would think at the very least you would have missed all the movies that we were watching. Definitely not, no. That you would miss being introduced to new cinematic experiences. That I, more often than not, despised. <laughs> so I wasn't at a loss of things to hate during these, this, this hiatus, so I didn't need a, a movie to hate on top of everything else, so. it's It's been a rough few months. It has been a rough few months. <laughs> so I may feel some nostalgia for... You know, the before time. <laughs> when when doing this podcast was the worst thing you were going to have to yeah. deal with in any given week. Yeah. That's fair. Well, looking back, I realized that we, we took a similar, if slightly shorter, sabbatical last year in the summertime. I think we were off for about three months last year. So I think we can we can call this the first episode of season three. Are we doing season Of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Okay. Yeah, I've just decided that we were on a summer hiatus and now mm. we're back for season three. This mm-hmm. is the season premiere. Okay. 
So it's, it's got to be a good one. Good luck with that. <laughs> and I think it's appropriate that we are returning with a musical. Oh, because that's been, you know, a bit of an ongoing project here at The Unenthusiastic Critic, is to systematically dismantle your irrational hatred of musicals. Mm-hmm. And again, so I feel like that is energy that you could be putting toward, you know, the systematic dismantling of capitalism, prison industrial complex. Do we really need to focus on breaking down my hatred of musicals? You know, think globally, act locally. So I've, mm-hmm. I've chosen to mm-hmm. act locally and start with your irrational dislike it's of musical theater. Okay. For any new listeners, do you want to... Uh, sort of summarize your your feelings about musicals they're terrible generally (laughs) i recognize that i am in the minority in this opinion i find them to be overly earnest oftentimes the music is not good and i am a lover of music and so it feels rude to then have to sit (laughs) for two to three hours listening to bad music and i've never been a fan of people singing what they could just say I just, I don't, I, and I get that that's sort of the point of it, musical. It is sort of the but entire I don't, I point don't, of the art form. I don't, communicating that way just <laughs> infuriates me. So I generally do not enjoy musicals. There are some exceptions, but I, I do not enjoy musicals. We, we've actually done sort of a lot of musicals here. Yes, because you're torturing me. Uh, when we were doing this series as a blog, we watched The Sound of Music. Oh, God. And then on the podcast, we have watched My Fair Lady, Grease, Mamma Mia. Oh, my God. <laughs> Singing in the Rain. Had a couple of good numbers. And most recently, Fiddler on the Roof. No. Okay. You liked Singing in the Rain. We've been over this before. I liked a couple of the numbers in Singing in you the Rain. You enjoyed the whole movie. I enjoyed a couple of the numbers. I think you just about tolerated My Fair Lady. I, I almost so have long no ago, memory you don't of that, even yeah. remember. I start, okay. yeah. I don't know that you hated Fiddler on the Roof. I didn't hate Fiddler, but I didn't, it, I never need to see it again. Okay. And you hated every single second of The Sound of Music. Yes. Grease. Yes. And Mamma Mia. Yes. <laughs> well, so I think this week might be, I'm not going to say the final test, I will say the ultimate test. Mm-hmm. At the top of the episode, we heard a snippet from our episode on Singing in the Rain, in which you acknowledged that there was a possibility you might actually enjoy Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Because in theory, most of your objections to other musicals should not apply here. Right? The music, by all reports, is it's good. good. Sure. And that's, you know, usually your biggest yes. complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, you have objected to the relentless whiteness of some <laughs> of these musicals. Yes. This is starring people of color. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're ever going to like any musical, except for The Wiz, which is the <laughs> one that you acknowledge, uh, I think it might be Hamilton. And apparently everybody in the world loves Hamilton. Yes. With a couple of exceptions. Yes. But the fever about this thing is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus dropped the the film of the Broadway show yesterday, and it's literally all anyone in my Twitter feed has talked about since then. Mm-hmm. And most of it is people who have seen it before, watching it again, raving about what a masterpiece it is. There are a few people like us who had never seen it, and you got a tweet from them saying, okay, I'm going in to see what all the fuss is about. And then three hours later, you see their tweet saying, oh my God, now I understand what all the fuss is about. 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. To the point, I will admit, where I almost kind of want to hate it. See, because you're a contrarian. You don't <laughs> I, like I don't to, like playing the favorite. You don't like to go with the flow of everybody else. Oh, you and you, wanna, and you, you do? You want to seem above the fray, above uh-huh. the common man's opinion. That's your... <laughs> I don't go in wanting to hate things. Things oh, are just... How new. can you say that I out loud? I how did that sentence every, just come I out of your mouth? every film... You understand people have listened to this show before, right? <laughs> Your whole brand is going in expecting to hate things. And I'm often right, so, you know. <laughs> All right, let's 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 do a little background on this thing. I didn't do a lot of research for this because, like I said, I haven't seen it either. Well, first, let's start with what do you actually know about it? Uh, it's about Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> America's first Secretary of the Treasury. Okay. And his rivalry with Aaron Burr. Mm-hmm. That is about it. <laughs> How much do you know about those people? I know... Pieces of information about those people. I have I, I will admit, read I, any biographies I do not on have Hamilton deep knowledge on really any of the founding fathers. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I mean, I know what I need to They were slaveholders. That's what I need to know. Okay, so. well, that, I, I have a feeling we're going to end up talking about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I have, I mean, I have a general understanding of the history of the founding fathers, but I don't, that's, I haven't gone deep into the biographies of any of the characters. That's about where I am, yeah. too. Okay. So... Lin-Manuel Miranda had written the book and lyrics for and starred in the 2008 Broadway musical In the Heights. Uh, I think there's a movie of that opening next year. And when he was on vacation from that show, he read Ron Chernow's 2004 biography, Alexander Hamilton. And he said, when I encountered Alexander Hamilton, I was immediately captivated. He's an inspirational figure to me and an aspirational one. Apparently, he originally conceived this as a concept album, but then developed it into a show. It opened off Broadway in 2015. It moved to Broadway in 2016. And it was obviously a smash hit. Premium tickets for Hamilton were going for more than $1,100, a Broadway record, and that was for the face value on the tickets. Scalpers, towards the end of Miranda's run, were asking an average price of $2,700, and after he announced he was leaving, they started asking $10,000 per ticket. At its peak, Hamilton was grossing $4 million a week and has never taken less than $1 million a week. To date, it has earned box office receipts in excess of $649 million. The show received a record-breaking 16 Tony nominations, 11 of which it won, including Best Musical. Miranda got a MacArthur Genius Grant. He got a Pulitzer Prize. He's, he won several Grammys. But the, the reviews for this show are, for the most part, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ben Brantley in the New York Times said, I am loath to tell people to mortgage their houses and lease their children to acquire tickets to a hit Broadway show, but Hamilton might just about be worth it. It's weird to hear something like that in the context in which we are in right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to keep coming back to that, aren't you? This is going to be a hard one for me. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) At least, Brantley goes on to say, to anyone who wants proof that the American musical is not only surviving, but also evolving in ways that should allow it to thrive and transmogrify in years to come. David Cote in Time Out said not just for its lyrical virtuosity, but also structural elegance and fierce topicality, this piece is a signal achievement, expanding the subgenre of tuneful takes on national identity. Even more than that, it offers a template for the fully integrated hip-hop musical that repurposes the social and verbal strategies of rap and slam poetry for supposedly off-limits topics. In remixing the past to his own beat, Miranda shows us the future. Mm-hmm. This sounds like something you should be into. Does it? 
I don't know. No? Because, I mean, so I haven't seen it, so I'm just going to, I'm going to hold on anything I have to say about it. Okay. That's unusual for you. Well, <laughs> I guess, so this is going to be difficult because it isn't like in the time, in the time that it's been on Broadway and today the film release that we haven't heard anything about it, right? So I've heard both glowing, excited reviews for it, and also there have been fair critiques of it. There have, in which we will get to. Right. So when I hear things like that of, like, remixing, and it's just, okay, so let's interrogate what it means to have actors of color portraying white historical figures that sort of author the oppression, right, right. of folks of right. color. And so and so this idea of, like, remixing, it's, it's I don't know. So, right. So I'm going into it with conf- conflicting feelings. <laughs> but I'm sure as a piece of art, it's amazing. Okay. So that's all obviously true. I, I was thinking more just in terms of the music and the musical style of mm-hmm. this musical mm-hmm. compared to other musicals. So you're saying because you I'm black, I would like it more issue. because it's hip-hop is what you're saying? No, I'm saying because you like hip-hop, you might be more into it. <laughs> Than you were the Lerner and Lowe, Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> musicals. There's a lot of hip hop where don't you like. shit on the music all the time. I don't know that I shit on the music. I just do not enjoy the music. This is Mark Benelli in Rolling Stone. He says the show, almost entirely sung through, don't transforms you. esoteric cabinet debates between Jefferson and Hamilton into riveting, delirious rap battles. Songs about Hamilton's complicated love life get more of a Destiny's Child treatment. And the rest of the score is expansive enough to include torchy show tunes, high camp Britpop, and nods to hip-hop classics. So to that point, are you expecting to enjoy it less than you enjoy more traditional musicals? Since you do Possibly. Not, you do you, that's what, you may like this better than I do. Mm-hmm. That, yes. is, that is very possible. My knowledge and appreciation of music stopped around 1973, I fully admit. This is not necessarily my lane. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any of the music from Actually, Hamilton? Actually, not. No. Other than whatever clips they play on the commercials, I have Right. I haven't either. It's actually amazing how much I've avoided the actual content of it. I, I have no knowledge of anything about Hamilton. So the reviews were, were generally overwhelmingly positive, but they weren't all total love letters. Elizabeth Vincentelli, writing for the New York Post, a paper Alexander Hamilton founded was largely positive, but said revolutionary the show is not. Truly the radical art is divisive, and under its brash exterior, Hamilton is warmly reassuring a love letter to the land of opportunity, which I think gets us closer to some of those criticisms you were talking about. Mm -hmm. She also said, getting back to the music, that too many of the numbers are exposition-heavy lessons, as if this were schoolhouse rap. (laughs) Which I confess is a little bit of how I've reacted to the little that I've seen. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I like Schoolhouse Rock. Yes, I do too. I don't know that I want to watch it for two hours and 40 minutes. That's a good point. Sure. That's fair. So I don't know. I have, I, have, I have no idea what I'm going to think of this. I have no idea what you're going to think of it. What are you expecting? I'm expecting that it will be really well done. A great piece of art. Okay. But I will probably have problems with <laughs> what sounds like it could be a little bit of a Disneyfication of the Founding mm, Fathers. Mm. Particularly where we sit in this moment <laughs> um, during this time. That's well, going to be harder I, to swallow than it may have been a few years ago. I've, I've read a lot of a lot of the backlash against Hamilton, and I do think, we'll talk about that after we watch it. I want us to go into it as open-mindedly mm-hmm. as possible. I do think this is going to be a timely discussion mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. But I guess let's see how it goes. Okay. So let's go watch Hamilton. Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to the show. 
founding father without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter By being a self-starter Starter to your union And the hope that you This is Hamilton. And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Hamilton. Nakia, how did that work for you? I enjoyed it. <laughs> I really did. I... That is a hot take. I know. On this musical. The unenthusiastic critic likes a musical. Yeah, no, I... Well, I just mean I haven't heard anyone else say that they oh, liked it. Oh, yes, no, yeah, that's a revolutionary, no pun intended, opinion <laughs> This there. is going to be a clickbait <laughs> piece. Hamilton is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was great. It I mean, is great. It is. It actually is a really, yeah. really good show. It I really was is. all prepared to say this thing is grossly overrated. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's a pretty good show. Yeah, it was. Um, I think, I don't know that I feel as rapturous about it as some other critics have found it. I don't know if that's the difference between seeing it live versus seeing it, you know, streaming on television I think there were moments where I was like, oh, this is a really great moment. This is a really mm -hmm. powerful moment. But yeah, it was, yes, it's, it is a extremely well done piece of art. I, I don't think you can replicate the experience of difficult. being in a theater. It's I think difficult. that's a completely unique and designed to be a completely unique mm -hmm. experience. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what's magical about the theater is that you're sharing the same space with the performers. The performance is different every single performance. I mean, it is just, it's something that can't be captured on film. But I do think I'm not, that way... This is, a, this is a side note. Okay. I'm not even sure I'm for doing this. For having it streaming? Available for streaming? For having it filmed and released. Mm. And it doesn't happen very often. There aren't no. that many shows that are released this way. Mm-hmm. I think if if it weren't for the fact that theater prices are so exorbitantly out of reach mm -hmm. of most of the masses, I think I would be against it altogether because I think theater ought to preserve that unique experience. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, there's any number of shows throughout history that I would love to have seen that right. obviously it was impossible for me to see. This is one of them. Yeah. No, I mean, that's it. I feel like, and this may be particularly true for Hamilton, because I think this was one of the first times where they did, when it was running on Broadway and in other, and then, you know, went on tour, they did the, like, online lottery system, which made even that process a little bit more accessible to people that hadn't been accessible before. A little bit. Um, right. No, I'm not saying that it <laughs> totally removed all barriers, but, I, you know, it was an intentional effort to open it up to more people than it would have been open mm. to otherwise. So this seems in keeping with that same idea of like, okay, how do we share something like this with as many people as possible while still recognizing like there just is something that is lost when it is translated right. from theater. Um, so I don't think this 
is a threat to theater in any way. I think this is about, or saying that the theater experience is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I think it is about really like broadening the audience for something like this. And it, it won't be done for every show. It shouldn't be done for necessarily for every show. But I think with this piece in particular, it's in line with what they were trying to do with the live runs. It's also, I mean, there's also the just sort of crass corporate money. Sure. Right? Like, so that's part of it. <laughs> but because it's right. not like Disney Plus is free. This is not communism. Right? <laughs> it's not Right. But so I think it makes sense. And I also think it was filmed in a way that did try to bring you into that a little bit. Like you mm-hmm. hear the audience reaction. Yeah. Which which helps to sort of remind you that oh yeah this this was sort of taking place live on a stage it was so actually it was actually morning. filmed very well it was. it was the direction was because they didn't just they could have just parked mm-hmm. the camera in the audience and, and have like, you experience shot, it yeah. like a play mm-hmm. they didn't do that no. so there were close ups and the camera moved in but it was pretty unobtrusive mm-hmm. and it did manage to still capture it wasn't over edited it mm-hmm. wasn't over directed it managed to capture the experience pretty well I and thought. it may have been better this way well, maybe not better, but I think it gives a different experience than, so say, if we had... <laughs> the seats we could right, have afforded. Right, like, we were like... <laughs> Who is that? Who's... <laughs> So this helps. To, I mean, you can when you can see the spittle coming from what is it, Jonathan Groff yes. as she's doing yeah. uh, King George. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. <laughs> it's a good seat. So, mm-hmm. all right. So you sounded like you just unreservedly loved this, and I, I, we yeah, don't need sure. to say anything about it. And I you mean, love musicals. No, wrong. So you see how you extrapolated way too far out there. I enjoyed this musical. Okay. Will you download the soundtrack? I actually don't know that I will. No. I'm not sure. I really liked the soundtrack. I, I might too. download the soundtrack. I did too. I don't, that's not something that I, I don't know that I would just listen to that randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people have loved it and a lot of people love the mixtape um, that The mm-hmm. Roots did. And I haven't listened to that and I will listen to that just to hear it. But I don't, I don't know that this would be something that I'd be like, oh, let's click on the Hamilton soundtrack. Okay. Was the music better than, say, Grease? Of course. That's not even a question. <laughs> or the sound of music. Not even a question. Yes, okay. absolutely. You enjoyed the music. I mean, you cannot deny that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote an amazing play and the lyricism on display was quite impressive, particularly mm-hmm. given the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it was it was I fully admit to being completely unqualified to discuss music. I'm a I'm a musical illiterate. Mm-hmm. But even I, and I, we watched it together yesterday, and then I've watched it again since then. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just fascinated with the way the songs work together, the way mm-hmm. previous so- bits of previous songs come back and are layered into new songs with slightly different meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's brilliant. I think the lyrics, for the most part, are brilliant. There's one or two rhymes that you're like, oh, you reached for that <laughs> one, Lynn. But, you know, I, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. Okay, I imagine we will eventually get to some of the criticisms of this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's put a pin in that for the moment Mm -hmm. and just talk about the show in general. Okay. Here's where we switch seats a little bit, I think, because I, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you have this problem with musicals about why why can't you just say it? (laughs) Why why you got to sing it? Yeah. Isn't it just easier just to talk? Mm -hmm. And I will admit that I almost always have a problem with shows that have no speech, that are all sung. Mm -hmm. I don't like that kind of Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. I like like it when the songs are used to reveal the emotional truths of the characters, but I also like 
you know, dialogue (laughs) happening between the songs. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to develop characters just in songs in a way that they, at least for me, that they feel real, that they feel like actual characters. Mm -hmm. How did that work for you in this? I had a little problem with it. Um, Even though, again, I think it was great. I don't know that I related to the characters as people Mm. always. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it was, it's definitely, I think there was a point where both of us were like, asked each other like is there going to be an intermission because it was like (laughs) so that first yeah that first half feels pretty propulsive like it's just Mm -hmm. back to back 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 song and action so one i'm just like impressed with the stamina of the cast because can you imagine doing this eight times a week (laughs) no break but then i think in the second half I think I noticed it less because there were those sort of quieter songs that were a little bit more reflective, and mm-hmm, sort of particularly mm-hmm. with Eliza. And once right. we got to sort of the older Hamilton and even Aaron Burr's character. I also um, think the second half is more boring, but we can talk well, about that too. But that, I mean, it's just, it's a different time, right? right? The first half was all about revolution and war, and then the second half is about sort of the business of making a nation. Right. And really sort of questioning how you do that and, and you know, is there a right or a wrong way? So for me, it made sense given the topic, like it made sense for it to just feel propulsive in that way, particularly during the wartime section. And then again, like the second half just felt different to me. It felt like there was a little bit more breathing room, even though there still wasn't any breaks necessarily between the songs, just because it felt like there was more hills and valleys with, mm-hmm. with the tempos. But I found the songs to be revealing of character, mm. um, particularly Aaron Burr and Eliza in the second half. And Angelica's song, when she introduces Hamilton to Eliza, and you get that different perspective of yes. that, that sort of meet cute. Yes, her song uh, is that, yeah, Satisfied, yeah. where they do the rewind right. back to that evening. Yes. I remember that night, I just might regret that night for the rest of my days. I remember those soldier boys tripping over themselves to win a praise. I remember that dream like candlelight, like a dream that you can't quite place. But Alexander, I'll never forget the first time I saw your face. I have never been the same. Intelligent eyes in a hunger pang frame. And when you said hi, I forgot my dang name. Said my heart of flame, every part of flame. This is not a game. So it was, so, so those types, those songs I think were, did do that work of like, really developing the character and showing you their sort of inner thoughts and their inner workings in a way that some of yeah, some of the songs were not that and mm-hmm. were more about moving plot along. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there were moments of really strong character building with a few of the characters that I really enjoyed. All right, well let's so let's talk let's talk about the characters. Maybe that's a way to approach this very long, very complicated show. Right. All right, well let's talk about Hamilton first of all, who we meet in the first song, mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> where we get his background of growing up an orphan in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Is it important so I saw somebody pointing this out and there's a whole song that references who tells your story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a question in this piece is who is telling this story. In the film version, at least, and I assume this was the same in the theater, the very first voice we actually hear is King George's, Mm -hmm. and he's doing the sort of theater announcement thing over the PA, which is, you know, a nice touch. Um, And then the first voice we hear in the play is Aaron Burr's, Mm -hmm. who says, you know, who was this, what is it, bastard orphan son of a whore. How does a bastard 
orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar And that's, a, again, a refrain that he keeps coming back to throughout the show Right But yeah, so we have that first song, Alexander Hamilton Where we learn about his, his background mm-hmm. uh, what, do, what do we make of Alexander Hamilton here? Um, you know, what is he, young, scrappy, and hungry? Like his country, he <laughs> like says, country. yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that first song is, it's a perfect introduction to that character. Um, you get so much information about him, and it provides a lot of the foundation for who he is and how he will move through mm-hmm. the rest of the, the play. With this, this sort of almost desperate. Exactly. Frantic need. And this proximity to death to... that seems to, mm-hmm. he never really shakes it and seems to drive his need to make a name for himself and leave behind this legacy. So yeah, I mean, it's a really, it was a really powerful opening piece. And he's a big nerd. And he's a big nerd. And he's, you know. He annoys people. He talks too much. That's, this is all. All of those things. Yeah. But he, I don't, I think I walked away with Hamilton not being my favorite character. Well, okay. And this is, God bless Lin-Manuel Miranda. And he obviously deserves all of the accolades and, you know, inconceivable amounts of money that he has received (laughs) for this. I don't think he's the strongest performer. No. His voice is definitely not... No, he's not the best singer. ...on a par with the other actors that he's hired to do this. And I don't think he's the most dynamic performer. Mm-mm. No. He sometimes seemed to fade. And maybe that's, you know, intentional, and maybe that's exactly how it should be. That's certainly the view of history. You know, the whole thing is that Hamilton is the founding father that, mm-hmm. before this, no one really talked about very much, right? Mm-hmm. He'd, he'd sort of been forgotten by history. Right. So Miranda doesn't play him as this larger-than-life character like some of the others are, like Jefferson in his big purple coat and yeah. everything. So for me, the I walked away falling in love with Leslie Odom Jr. Like, mm-hmm. I just... The villain's always the good role, man. But see, he's not even a villain. I mean, he's just, it's a, that's a complicated character. Again, it depends on who's telling the story, right? Right. So yeah, he just, I think, to Miranda's credit, I think he gave Burr probably some of the strongest songs. Right. That's why I'm saying I think part of that is intentional, yeah, the fact that the Hamilton entire, is overshadowed. In the entire musical. I mean, the room where it happens, like, that's, he kills it. That, I think that's <laughs> my favorite song. Hold your nose and close your eyes. Don't you get a say on what they trade away. Dream of a brand new start. But the dream in the dark for the most part. amazing performance and again you're just one you are you have to respect the lyricism but you also have to respect just the work that went into that one perform like that was just such a the emotion that had to go into it because you had to do so many things with that on top of the just the physicality of mm-hmm. the performing it the choreography uh, I, let's accept now that we're just going to jump all yeah, over we're, the, all we're not going to be able to go through this in any kind of order <laughs> no i think that's my favorite number yeah yeah odom's amazing mm-hmm. in that the song itself is great throughout the entire show the way miranda switches musical styles mm-hmm. depending on and again acknowledging i'm a musical illiterate not qualified to discuss any of this <laughs> 
But like that song, for example, has this sort of Bob Fosse kind of sleazy mm. back. Like mm-hmm. it's about backroom deals mm-hmm. and the musical style fits that perfectly where it's this kind of sleazy, almost sexual. Mm-hmm. It's very jazzy Bob Fosse style music. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's an amazing number. Yeah. And just little stuff like him leaping up on the table that has a tablecloth on it. Right. And then, and then he jumps and they rip the tablecloth yeah. out from under him. It's it's a great number. So, yeah, talk to me about Aaron Burr. You know what? I like Aaron Burr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. You're, you know, I'm not sure you're supposed to like your Aaron Burr. Your heart has to break for him a little bit. Because it's just, he tries so hard. <laughs> and... He's that character that's like, I'm doing, I'm trying to do everything right, and I'm still getting upstaged by this kid who... There's a little, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to point this out, there's a little Salieri Mozart mm. thing going mm-hmm. on through this show, mm-hmm. where Burr is Salieri, yeah. who tries so hard and wants it so bad. Right. And it seems to come so easy at, to right. Hamilton. <laughs> but it is also true that he is... An opportunist and sort of just goes wherever he sees the power to be mm-hmm. and wherever seems to be sort of the easiest for him to get in right. where he fits in. This is Hamilton's criticism right. of him is right. that you don't, he says, you know, if you don't stand for anything, what will you fall for? Right, it? right. He's, and Burr won't take a stand. He's a politician. Yeah. He's like, never let them pin you down to a position. Don't make yourself vulnerable by mm-hmm. taking a stand on something. Mm-hmm. Talk less, smile more right. is his line. Can I buy you a drink? That would be nice. While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. What? Smile more. Huh. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You can't be serious. You want to get ahead? Yes. Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. There's also, I think, the class thing. I mean, oh, he absolutely. is his his criticism of Hamilton, or that he keeps coming back to is how did this penniless mm-hmm. bastard orphan immigrant right. dare to rise faster than I did? Where Burr has a name that he has to live up to and a family that he has to live right. up to. Yeah, and that's that's throughout this play and a very American theme. Yes. But, I mean, it's just, you know, when he sings that final song after the duel and he's like, I should have realized that there was enough room in the world for both of us. Like, you just have to, like, oh, I feel so... (laughs) Yes, you just murdered someone (laughs) (laughs) because of your own ego. But you see how he got... And, that again, that's the work that the music does, right? It's like you you see how it just became too much. Now I'm the villain in your history. I was too young and blind to see I should have known I should have known the world was wide enough For both Hamilton and me But yeah, going back to the room where it happens mm-hmm. like that that really is sort of his villain song yes. like that's the point at which he decides i have to do whatever i can do to be in that room yes which is nice and it's also you know if we're looking at this like an origin story for american politics mm-hmm. it's the villain song for that too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like okay we had all these ideals but that's not really how shit gets done right. how shit really gets done right. is you go in the room no one knows what kind of deal making what was given up you know, was taken. how the sausage gets made, yeah. that's, that line is in the song. Yeah. 
So one of the things I was worried about going into this was the female characters. Mm -hmm. Because I think, particularly with the Skylar sisters, it could have easily been like thankless roles of, you know, the women pining for the men or just serving as supporting characters in the narrative. And I'm not saying that that isn't totally the case. Yeah, see, I think that is somewhat the case. And so again, maybe it goes back to both the strength of the performers Mm -hmm. and the songs that they are able to rise above that more so Angelica and Eliza than Peggy. Peggy doesn't really get much of anything to do. Yeah, Peggy disappears. <laughs> although the actress comes right, back she comes as back, right. uh, Mariah Reynolds. Yeah. But Eliza Hamilton played by Philippa Sue and Angelica played by Renee Goldsberry. I think they both, again, have really powerful numbers in the musical and provide sort of nuance and depth to characters, again, that could have easily been really one note. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are, I mean, their roles, their their muses, mm-hmm. their wives, their inspirations. Their inspiration. Their, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think the play has an awareness of that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's that Eliza song, Burn, mm-hmm. where she says, I'm removing myself from the narrative. Yeah. I'm erasing myself. From the narrative. Let future historians wonder how Eliza reacted when you broke her heart. You have torn it all apart. I'm watching it. Everybody in the play is aware of the narrative. Right. Everybody's singing about, you know, how history history has its eyes on us. You know, there's a it's that's all very conscious. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the play, Eliza, her last the very last song, she says something like, I'm putting myself back right. in the narrative now. Right. And by the way, I lived another fifty years, I did all these awesome things, I started an orphanage, you know, I had a whole life. It's like the whole musical could have been about Eliza. Mm-hmm. Like there was this whole counter narrative that we don't get here, but at least the show is aware that we don't get it. Yes. And that that yeah. could be another thing. And then, yeah, Angelica is amazing mm-hmm. somehow in very little stage time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she, they have to build a chemistry and the believability of a, a connection between her and Hamilton that they don't actually have time to build really to do. And they're right. able to convey that. And, and again, I think it is the power of the songs and the, and the performances and she she probably more so than Eliza could have been stuck in that like muse inspiration space. So, like mm-hmm. that's his sort of intellectual peer, and he's the one that she's, right. the one she's that, his opposite right. number. She's yeah. she's the one who she's like a female version mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. She you know they have the intellectual connection. When he writes letters about policy and politics, he's writing them to Angelica. He's not yeah. writing them to Eliza. To Eliza, right? 
Yeah. So it's like, it's like they were sold. And that's what we learn in that song you were talking about in Satisfied. Mm-hmm. When we go back to the night that he met both sisters, they both apparently fell in love with him at first sight. And Angelica gave him, basically, right. to Eliza. Right. I fantasize at night, it's Alexander's eyes As I romanticize what might have been if I hadn't sized him up so quickly She says She has a responsibility as the older daughter Right, she's the oldest daughter, she has to marry wealthy, this dude is poor Mm -hmm. She says she's aware that basically he wants to marry a Skylar sister for the money and the and the name and then she says eliza would let me have him but she'd be heartbroken yeah and i know that and i love my sister and so there's a song that was cut Hmm. and it's it sort of bothers me that they cut it she had a song it's when she it's after the affair Mm -hmm. has come out Mm -hmm. and there's that scene where she comes back and he says i'm so happy to see you and she's like i'm not here and she's like i'm not here for you i'm here for my sister she had a song there called congratulations oh where first she basically bitches him out for being an idiot. Mm -hmm. She says, you have invented a new kind of stupid. (laughs) Because she says, basically, you took this scandal that, like, two people knew about. And to get out of that, you confessed publicly to a affair that nobody knew about like you blew this up into this ridiculous thing when you didn't have to Mm -hmm. so she's yelling at him for that and then she basically says i sacrificed you Mm -hmm. i went off to london to be in a loveless marriage so that you could have this life with my sister and you fucked it up Mm. so scared of what your enemies will do to you you're the only enemy you ever seem to lose to you know what jefferson can do what he wants he doesn't dignify schoolyard taunts with a response so yeah congratulations You've redefined your legacy. Congratulations. It was an act of political sacrifice. Sacrifice? I languished in a loveless marriage in London. I lived only to read your letters. I look at you and think, God, what have we done with our lives? And what did it get us? That doesn't wipe the tears or the years away. But I'm back in the city and I'm here to stay. And you know what I'm here to do. I'm not here for you. It's a good song. It's it's too bad that they cut that. But So that's in the stage version, but not... No, it was cut from the show. Oh, okay, okay. So, and we'll, we're going to come back to this, but Miranda has released, I think it's on the mixtape. I think he had... Oh, like his song He book. put a couple of the songs back on the mixtape and had people perform them mm-hmm. that were that were cut for time or for whatever reason. Okay, interesting. From, from the final show. Mm. So I also think that... You know, part of the the magic of watching this, again, very, very late to the game, <laughs> is you can see why these people have since had really blossoming careers, mm-hmm. right? So someone like David Diggs. Yo, yeah, he's amazing. He is just magnetic, and you can't take your eyes off of him when he's on that stage, both as Lafayette and as Thomas Jefferson, where he's just this, like, preening peacock <laughs> uh, of ridiculousness. And... Funny and smart and yeah, so I I really enjoy, WD he's very cute, he's a very cute guy. 
Um, I feel like that's where you were going. You might as well just say No, that. I mean, they're all, like, <laughs> liter- I don't know that there was an unattractive person in this cast. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, these were a bunch of beautiful people. No, but, yeah, so it was it was just really enjoyable to watch him and be like, oh, it makes sense that you've gone on to have a career and mm-hmm. because this is, and so to see this moment where they sort of burst onto international consciousness is, is very, is also very enjoyable. The like, the flip side of that though is that they make you like someone like Thomas Jefferson. It's like, oh, but you also raped your slave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, well, did you like, I mean, Thomas Jefferson is I mean, not a likable no, character. he's not a likable character at all, but show. he, he, Again, in fact, he's he's almost more of a he's villain, more villain than, than Aaron Burr is, is, but he's charming in the way that <laughs> villains are only char- are char- like uh-huh. in the same way that you know you like the bad guy sometimes. <laughs> like to me, that's the, that's a better bad guy when you're just like you know yeah. I can see why people listen to you. I can see why people follow because it takes a certain charisma to be that. Yeah, that that's a great number where yeah. he comes back, mm-hmm. and it's like you've like, all you've what almost did I miss? you've almost forgotten there was a Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> which I think is the whole point. But it's also again co- coming back to like, what does it mean to experience it at home versus in the theater? As soon as that number opens and he's at the top of the staircase that they sort of push into the middle of the stage, and he's just sort of waving yeah. and blowing and just eat, <laughs> just eating the moment up, and the crowd is going crazy and applauding and screaming for Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. It is such an odd moment of like, oh, but this is a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> but it speaks to the power right of the performer and the the charisma of the moment and yeah and to have him in like the velour purple like it's it's just hard to it's a very prince outfit yeah it's hard to take him to hate him yeah. um but it's thomas fucking jefferson where have you been france the last we have to win why did i I had my first cabinet meeting today. I guess I better think of something to say. I'm already gone my way. Get to the bottom of this. So, and the same with Christopher Jackson's portrayal of General Washington. Washington. Yeah, that was a great. That's a. Such it's a, hard to have a quieter, yeah. less flamboyant performance like that, and to still stand and have out. the gravitas yeah. that yes. that you need for that yes. role. He was so powerful, and again, it was like, oh, George, it's George Washington, and you feel yourself. <laughs> I think, particularly as a person of color, where where I think there can sometimes be this conflict around patriotism, right? Like the hero worship that Americans have with the founding fathers, it, it's complicated when it's refracted through the lens of race, right? And so I've never had a oh George Washington moment, right. but I was like, oh, it's George Washington. Well, that's <laughs> I mean, for that we need to get into the whole casting discussion. Right, but let's casting, hold off on that for a second. Just, again, it's the power of the actors and and but yet it's like reminding yourself that oh but he is singing these lines and saying these words through the teeth of slaves right, right. like George Washington literally had <laughs> the teeth of slaves in his mouth <laughs> So whatever beautiful oratory he had, whatever wonderful speeches he was making to the troops, they were being made in a mouthful of the teeth of slaves. And so it's just, it is this very sort of um, cognitive dissonance of just like you, you get wrapped up in that hero worship moment yeah. in this in this musical, and you have to sort of stop yourself and go, oh no, but this was yeah. te- this was a terrible person. <laughs> and not that anyone is all good or all bad, right? right. And I and I do think this is it's a timely discussion mm-hmm. right now. I mean, when we're like pulling down statues of people, right? right? Exactly. And you know, several people have made a distinction between pulling down a statue of 
Robert E. Lee mm-hmm. or Confederate leaders who are known only for terrible yes. things versus pulling down a statue of someone like George Washington, who, yes, owned hundreds of, yeah. I think Mount Vernon had like 370 enslaved people, but also was a great man mm-hmm. in many other ways. Mm-hmm. That number where he steps down from the mm. presidency, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a key moment in American history. Yes. As far as the, the peaceful transference of power and whether the democracy was going to survive past its first president. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have been president for life. He could have been king, probably. But he, no, he said, you know, we have to let the, exp- I mean, I'm sure he was tired, too. Yep. It wasn't an entirely noble. He wanted to go back home to, you know, be taken care of by his slaves. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a, a moment without which there is no America. Right. You could continue to say no one last time. The people hear from me one last time. And if we get this right, we're going to teach them how to say goodbye. You See, we're strong. Your position is so unique. So I'll use it to move them along. Why do you have to say goodbye? If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. So, yeah, good and bad. And bad. <laughs> Complicated. Complicated. What did you make of the whole the daddy issues? Hamilton's daddy issues? Yeah. I mean, so we've got Washington, the whole father, father of figure, the country, yeah. et cetera. And then there is that scene where Hamilton is like... Don't call me son. Don't call me son. Right. Mm-hmm. Call me son one more time, he says, and mm-hmm. like he's going to punch George Washington in the face. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? I mean, I think that is that is a common theme in stories of orphans and people that have lost their parents mm-hmm. at young ages um you know father, particularly followers that walked away there is always this search for like the replacement while also feeling a drive to be your own man mm-hmm. and so i think there was this likely uh internal conflict of yes you know general washington was a father figure to him but at the same time he was also trying to assert himself as his own man and like i don't need a father right um I am a leader. I am ready to lead and I'm ready to sort of make my own my own path. I mean, there's this whole parallel thread of parenthood running mm-hmm. through this play where, you know, both there's a song where both Burr and Hamilton mm-hmm. sing to their newborn children. And it's very much interweaving the fates of the children with the fate of, of the, the democracy right? of the new country that's yeah. being born, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't thought. You know, I, I need about three weeks yeah. to think about no, the show. That is, yeah. I mean, there are there are a bunch of things going on in this musical. So for me, I think Washington's number, "Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story," mm-hmm. is sort of the 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 through line for me, mm-hmm. both sort of textually and then sort of metatextually. And and I think that happens on a number of layers. So if we're talking about fatherhood and sort of the connection of, around fatherhood and this idea of legacy, and then we bring back in the discussion we were having about the Schuyler sisters, it's like, well, they had children as well. Like Eliza mm-hmm. had children. Yeah. They had seven children. They had seven Eliza. children. Right. So, but we don't get that perspective of like, what does it mean to be a woman at the founding of a country mm-hmm. and your role in it and what you want to leave your children? Uh, I mean, I think we do get that a little bit hmm. in... 
Because there's that song, That Would Be Enough, mm-hmm. where she's trying to convince Hamilton to stay home. Mm-hmm. And it, it it is putting up that perspective of, if we have a happy life, if we have a happy marriage, if we have children, That's enough. isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. Why does your legacy have to be there and not here, mm-hmm. basically? Look around, look around. Look at where you are. Look at where you started. That you're alive is a miracle Just stay alive, that would be enough And if this child Shares a fraction of your smile Or a fragment of your mind Look out the world, that would be enough And then it is interesting that they reduce the children down to the one child, Philip who then dies in a duel, defending his father's legacy mm-hmm. against some guy who had been... Running off at the mouth. Running off at the mouth about him. Mm-hmm. So it is like Hamilton has sacrificed that one form of legacy for this other one. Mm-hmm. Well, who else you want to talk about? You want to talk about King George? <laughs> King George. Uh, Jonathan Groff pretty much just ate that whole up. I mean, I, he just seemed to be having such a good time with it. And it's such a, it's just ludicrous. Every time he walked out on stage, the audience just erupts and laughing. Yeah, he was he clearly an anything. audience favorite. But yeah, I mean, it provided a nice little interlude and perspective in the middle of the rest of the musical. It's um, structured. This thing is structured is. to a T. Yeah. And I noticed, and this is, I mean, it's seemingly random, but it's not random. So I was taking notes throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I took like, five pages of notes at the very top of every page of my notes was an appearance by King George. Mm. And that's, you know, obviously there's a little messy to like how many notes I take, but it's like just punctuating Mm -hmm. the birth of this democracy. It's like he keeps showing up throughout. Right. I love the the change again the change in the musical styles. It's a very Brit pop yes style that he's singing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he was very <laughs> he was funny. So what comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Oceans rise, empires fall. It's much harder when it's all your call All alone across the sea When your people say they hate you Don't come crawling back to me Okay, there's, there's no way we can do this, this whole show justice. But I do want to talk a little bit about some of the backlash mm-hmm. against this show. And maybe before we get to that, let's talk about the casting. Okay. You already said that seeing a black man play George Washington changes your feeling about George Washington and changes Jefferson. Is that a good thing? Mm. Is, I think, the question that a lot of people have asked. I think it's, I don't know, it almost feels like one of those brain puzzles that you see on the internet of like, there's two silhouette things and you think you see two faces, but you're actually seeing a vase. So they're like, which right. one are you seeing? Uh-huh. So it almost feels like this weird, just brain game. So I think there's the baseline of like, and again, going back to who lives, who dies, who tells the story, right? There is something to saying, okay, if this is what we're saying the history of America is, at the very least, as people of color, as people who own that story, who can lay claim, I should say, to that story just as much as any other citizen of this country, why can't we say it? Right. Why can't it be coming from us? Right. And so how does that 
what does that do to the narrative and what does that do to how we hear things and how we think about it? And does that maybe allow us a little bit more space to to ha- take some form of patriotism in the founding of America? And yet that brain game becomes a little bit different depending on where we are in time. Mm. So this play, the musical was released in 2015. Obama was still president. And right. I think having a black man in the White House as president with all the complications that come with that role and all the ways that it's still a white supremacist imperialist role and Mm -hmm. station and he being black man does not change that Mm -hmm. it feels sort of the same with hamilton Mm. of like it's still a moment of like pride and like that's still a good thing Right. right it's still somehow a moment of progress then you fast forward a year and a half or however long later there's a different person in the White House. Right. There's a different narrative around the country, around people of color, around immigrants in particular. It becomes a different there's thing. A, there's a defensiveness there's a about the white people yes. who founded this country. So then it becomes harder to look at something. Not harder, but it, be, it just becomes a different... There's a different context in which Hamilton is happening. Mm-hmm. So I think in the moment of Obama, when we when a lot of people were like, oh, we're you know post-racial and this is progress. And we're like Hamilton, I think it was easier to be much more sort of exuberant about it and celebratory about it. And not to say that there weren't people still critiquing it and saying, you know, we there are underlying narratives here that are not being explored that we need to talk about. Right. But I think it was maybe easier to just let it sort of wash over you and enjoy it as a piece in, of art. In 2015, In 2015. And part of 2016. And then you have someone in the White House that has completely distorted the context. And it's harder to then separate the actors from the historical figures that they're playing, from the context in which we sit. And yet you still have moments in the play where when Lafayette and Hamilton are on stage talking about, you know, immigrants, we get the job done. And there's this rapturous applause and cheer from the audience because there had been this narrative around immigrants about, you know, oh, they're murderers and rapists and whatever, you know. So it's again, it's like who lives, who dies, who tells the story. It's like it's who tells the story, but it's also when is the story being told? In what context? In what context is the story being told that I to think what purpose? Just so it's an interesting it make I think it makes this this musical even more interesting. And maybe this happens with other things as well, because there are like books that you can go back to at different places in your life and you mm-hmm. it reveals different things to you. But I think Hamilton, at the time it came along and the long tail that it's having it's a really interesting mirror for us as a country and potential sort of barometer about how we are feeling about ourselves, both white folks and folks of color. How are you feeling about our country? Mm-hmm. How are we feeling about the ideals in which this country was founded? Mm-hmm. So going into it, I think I mentioned at the top of the episode, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with, you know, you just put people of color. These are still owners of enslaved peoples. And now I think it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's it like, worked on you. It won you over. I don't, I don't know that. I won't say that it won me over. I just, I think I see it more as like a tool now. Mm. Like art as a tool. Art as a. I can see that. A reflection. I mean, my react was so complicated as mm-hmm. I was watching it. And mm-hmm. it did keep shifting that way. Mm-hmm. So let me play the bad guy. I will. Re- let me read a couple of things. Yeah. Okay. So this is scholar Lyra Montero from Rutgers. And I read I read both the scholarly article she wrote and an interview with her. And in the interview, she says, I loved it. It was amazing. As a theatrical production, it's incredible. As a Broadway musical, it's amazing and deserves all the credit it gets. She said she listens to the album all the time. So like us, she loved the show. Mm-hmm. But 
She says, as anything that conveys information to people about the past, it's highly problematic. Is this the history that we most want black and brown youth to connect with, one in which black lives so clearly do not matter? Mm -hmm. And she talks about this whole notion that it's race-blind casting. She says it's not race-blind casting. It's very race-conscious casting. Mm -hmm. These are parts designed for people of color. These are songs designed for people of color, that it's not just random, you know, we cast whoever was best for the role. It was clearly intentional. And she says, what the supposedly colorblind casting does is it gives Hamilton the show the ability to say, oh, we're not just telling old white history. This isn't your stuffy old school history that's just praising white people. Look, we've got people of color in the cast. This is everybody's story, which it isn't. It's still white history. And no amount of casting people of color disguises the fact that they're erasing people of color from the actual narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this this question of erasure is, it's it's not even that we have people of color portraying the uniformly white characters in this show. It's that there are no characters of color in this show. Right. And as we know, there were plenty mm-hmm. of people of color around, many of whom were owned by these people. We don't see them. Right. Sally Hemings has one scene where she's dancing happily around Jefferson, barely catch that he refers to her as Sally. Right. These these people are not there. Mm -hmm. There is slight acknowledgement that Jefferson owned slaves. Yes, in the rap battle with he and him. In the rap battle. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that in a second. But like you said, there's no acknowledgement that Washington did. Mm -hmm. That's all just been scrubbed clean from this story. And... This is a point that the always happy Ishmael Reed has <laughs> Who did a pointed whole out. counterplay. He did a, exactly. <laughs> so in 2015, he wrote an essay denouncing the show, saying Hamilton's life has been scrubbed with a kind of historical Ajax until it sparkles. He points out the Schuyler family kept 27 slaves, mm-hmm. that Hamilton actually negotiated sales of these slaves on behalf of the Schuylers, mm-hmm. that he and his wife may have owned two slaves themselves. I don't know if there's disagreement about that historically. And as you started to say, in 2019, he wrote a play called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, funded apparently largely by Tony, Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison. <laughs> Which depicted Miranda being confronted sort of Scrooge style with the ghosts of the people in the play and the ghosts of the people who were not in the play, Mm -hmm. including enslaved, indentured, and indigenous people. I haven't read the play. I haven't seen the play. I'm working (laughs) off articles. But one character apparently says, this Puerto Rican American is raking in the gold. And what a clever idea having black people play the roles of white people who whipped the living daylights out of black people and raped African women. And a character apparently says to Miranda, do you think American Express hired you because they want a revolution? Mm. Which is a good line. So it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Well... So I think it is, you know, that first critic's perspective of it is a wonderful piece of theater. Mm -hmm. You cannot deny its artistry. And yet it is one person's story. Mm -hmm. It is one perspective of that history. And it is incomplete. And I think there is a theme in the play, in the musical, that is about this idea of an unfinished country, right? It's an unfinished ideal. And so this is a depiction of that. And I think, again, I keep going back to this, like, who's telling the story? When is the story being told? Sitting in the space where we are now, when there's this sort of national reckoning with our history, where, as you mentioned earlier, you know, statues of founding fathers and others are being removed. And Nicole Hannah-Jones published the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. which is a, was just a total upending of our understanding of a founding anyway, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well... 
we've been saying that the founding was 1776. Well, actually, it was 1619. Right. Right. And so there are multiple founding stories of the United States. There are multiple perspectives from which those stories can be told. And so what is the responsibility of one piece of art mm. to, to tell all those things, to touch on all those things? Now, we can argue that given the language that Lin-Manuel is using, given how accessible they've tried to make this work, that the, I don't want to say the danger of it, but because it's seeping so deeply sort of culturally that it becomes a little bit bigger and means a little bit more than it probably should. Like, it's like, well, this should be the starting point. Like, then you need to go do some work. And do some reading on who Alexander Hamilton was and really do some reading on who Thomas Jefferson was and do, you know, sort of do that work because no piece of art is going to do that for you. It's not going to tell all of the stories. And so I think that that's where I'm like, well, we as a country have failed at that. So why did we, (laughs) so should Lin-Manuel Miranda be (laughs) Be held responsible for that? That's fair. Comprehensive education on the (laughs) founding fathers. I don't know that that's true. I think it may be better or not better, but I think it is of value to say, okay, this piece of art then sparked all this conversation. I think the critique is actually important because it's saying there's more story here. Right. You know, and, and thinking about who were the, the folks of color missing in the musical. Yes, there's that, you know, passing mention of Sally Hemings. You know, Crispus Attucks was the Christmas, first. Right. <laughs> the, right. If we're talking about there were thousands American of There were thousands of African-Americans who fought on both sides yes. of the war because the British said, come fight for us and right. we'll ensure your freedom. Mm-hmm. The Continental Army said that too at times, and then went back on the right. deal after. Like it's all—it's all very messy, as we would expect. The Hercules Mulligan. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit about how he spied for the British, and that's what allowed us to win Yorktown. Mm-hmm. We do not get that he owned a man named Cato, who was totally instrumental, who also was part of mm-hmm. that spy operation. Mm-hmm. You know, again, those people have been erased. So, I, I mean, I do think you have a point about basically the entire American narrative has failed mm-hmm. on these points, and asking Lin-Manuel Miranda to cover all of it is a lot. Mm-hmm. I do, however, also agree with Ishmael Reed that this story has been scrubbed. And part of my evidence on that will be, we go back to that mixtape of deleted songs. Mm-hmm. In the show, both on Broadway and in the version we watched, there are two rap battles between Jefferson and Hamilton. Yes. There was a third one hmm. when the show was in workshop form. It didn't make it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. The third debate was on slavery. Mm. And that was cut four time. Can they see the air quotes I'm doing? <laughs> For time. <laughs> and he put it on the, sure. the tape of sure. the deleted songs um, in demo form. And it's interesting. So Jefferson basically says, yeah, slavery is a problem, but what's the answer? Do we send them back to Africa? Do we give them a separate state? We don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. There's a line, slavery is a sin. It's growing like a cancer, but we can't address the question if we don't have an answer. And then... Hamilton comes back with You all know this is a stain on our soul in democracy a land of the free no it's not it's hypocrisy to subjugate to humanize a race call them property and say that we are powerless to stop it you not foresee sir even you you have hundreds of slaves whose descendants will curse our names when we're safe in our graves how will the south find labor for its businesses how will Thomas Jefferson find his next mistresses how dare you and still people follow like lemmings all you hemming and hawing while you're he hawing with Sally Hemmings that's enough Well, you asked how I feel. I don't pretend to know the answer, but the question is real. 
So that's not in the show anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the song doesn't really resolve it because it then goes to Hamilton does call out Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemming. And then Washington comes in and says to Hamilton, basically, because this is after the Mariah Reynolds thing, you really want to talk about mistresses? Mm -hmm. And that sort of ends the debate. As if those are the same thing. Right. Hmm. The song ends with, I think it's Washington saying, let's hope the next generation thinks of something better. And what Miranda has said is they didn't do anything about this. Nothing really happened on slavery for, you know, almost another hundred years. And that they couldn't really justify spending six minutes of the show on a song where nothing changed Mm -hmm. at the end of it, where it was sort of a debate that didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. That feels like a little bit of a dodge. It feels like a dodge. It feels like more of a, let's make this palatable. Let's not open up problems that the show is not prepared to deal with. Mm -hmm. Let's not introduce that into this conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's interesting because I think that there are places in the musical where he does recognize and stresses the importance of, you know, the quote unquote experiment, right? That this is very much something that is not figured out, Mm -hmm. where it's, it's not fully baked, it's messy, And so that would have been part of that was like, that was another thing that they didn't figure out and they didn't deal with. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting that he decided to cut it. Now, at the same time, I will confess to having like the same reaction you did. And I do think your point about like when you watch this Mm -hmm. and what the current political context is in which you watch this. Like that first song with, I think it's, what is it? It's Hamilton, Lafayette, Lawrence, and Hercules, Mm -hmm. right? Where they're sort of talking revolution. Mm -hmm. That song feels very contemporary to me. And part of that is that we are in this sort of moment of revolution Mm -hmm. where we're seeing communities of color rise up. And you even have characters there saying like, I never expected to live past 20, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Where it does feel like that is reclaiming that sort of spirit of revolution and let's fix the country from the quote unquote founding fathers Mm -hmm. to empower a current generation. Come on, let's go! Rise up, when you're living on your knees, you rise up. Tell your brother that he's got to rise up. Tell your sister that she's got to rise up. When are these colonies going to rise up? When are these colonies going to rise up? I don't know if that's real or not, but I think it's effective. I think it is real. So I'm going to go back to Nicole Hannah-Jones. Okay. Because she's just a a genius. She got MacArthur Jeans Grant. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But so she released the 1619 Project, I think that was last year in 2019. And one of the essays in it, to me, speaks a lot to sort of what we are talking about. And particularly this this sort of, this thought that you just landed on. So I want to read a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she says... More than any other group in this country's history, we, meaning Black Americans, have served generation after generation in an overlooked but vital role. It is we who have been the perfectors of this democracy. The United States is a nation founded on both an ideal and a lie. Our Declaration of Independence, approved on July 4, 1776, proclaims that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. But the white men who drafted those words did not believe them to be true for the hundreds of thousands of Black people in their midst. 
Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness did not apply to fully one-fifth of the country. Yet despite being violently denied the freedom and justice promised to all, black Americans believe fervently in the American creed. Hmm. Through centuries of black resistance and protest, we have helped the country live up to its founding ideals. And not only for ourselves, black rights struggles paved the way for every other rights struggle, including women's and gay rights, immigrant and disability rights. Without the idealistic, strenuous, and patriotic efforts of black Americans, our democracy today would most likely look very different. It might not be a democracy at all. Mm. So I think that there is this reclaiming of that revolutionary spirit because it has always been the role of Black folks in particular, but broadly, you know, folks of color to demand that we do live up to Mm. what the founding fathers said. Okay. Suck it, Ishmael Reed. (laughs) Not suck it, Ishmael Reed. (laughs) Still very worthy of critique. No, it definitely is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I absolutely understand all the critiques. Mm-hmm. I agree with all the critiques. Mm-hmm. If I were in the right mood, I might attack the show based on those critiques. I think that's totally valid. I have to say my reaction to it was to find it more empowering mm-hmm. than to find it this sort of palliative mm-hmm. sanitation of history. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you did too. I think I'm a little bit, we're a little bit different. Okay. So I don't know that I found it to be empowering or a more empowering message. I found it to be instructive and more useful as a reflection of time than a narrative on our history necessarily as a piece of art i thoroughly enjoyed it and i it it has tremendous merit i think all the critiques are valid and i i think that there's something to be said for creating a a, a piece of art that inspires that sort of critique i guess i think what i find empowering for the moment is the revolutionary zeal, Mm -hmm. the ownership of the narrative by people of color, Mm -hmm. and that notion that you talked about that the project is supposed to be unfinished. Mm -hmm. That spirit of, I think Hamilton says to Burr at one point, like, we won the war, now we have to build the nation. The idea that that never ends, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that work never ends, Mm -hmm. I think is is useful and empowering for this moment, too. And so I think it's that second piece, right, that troubles the narrative a little bit, right? This idea of, like, the ownership of the narrative by people of color is Mm -hmm. still a limited narrative. It's still a narrative that erases the contributions of Black folks of enslaved peoples in the creation of this country but i think for me it's just again who lives who dies who tells the story this is lin-manuel miranda's story right it's a this is what he wrote based off of chernow's biography and the show ends on that point and the show ends right let me tell you what i wish i'd known when i was young and dreamed of glory You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. So I think I almost enjoy it more of like, how is it a a reflection of where we are and who we are as a Mm -hmm. country? I think it is more interesting almost to talk about Hamilton for all of its faults, for all of its limitations. What did it mean to watch Hamilton in 2015 with Obama in the White House? Right. What does it mean to watch Hamilton now with Trump in the White House with the narrative around immigrants and folks of color? And, you know, this is July 4th weekend that it was released Mm -hmm. and he's up at Mount Rushmore with fireworks and this ridiculous display that is stolen native land. Right. Right. So it's like. Talking about how there's an attack and he's not using the words, but an attack on on white history. Founding fathers and white history. Right. And so I, I almost, 
I appreciate it because I think it can, it can be a helpful tool as a piece of art to start like asking these questions about narrative, about history, about who tells the story. And maybe it helps us to, this may be giving it too much power, but like, does it keep us honest? Hmm. Like, were we honest in 2016 when we were so exuberant about it? There were still being drones. There were still drones <laughs> right. killing thousands of people, right? right? So... And, and and so Obama did not dismantle right, exactly. systemic it racism was still in this a country. There was no right? right. So it's I think it's it's more interesting to look at it as that of like that it's an it's a it's like a one of those like kaleidoscope things of like you see different things at different times. Turn it right, a little, you turn a little way, this way and, you see, and it's a totally different picture. You mm-hmm. turn it this way. And so well, that's what art should be generally. Generally, so, yeah. yeah. And it's a good show. And it is a, it is a very <laughs> enjoyable show. I think you would watch this again. I could, yeah, I could watch it again, sure. (laughs) Anything else you'd like to say about this? No. Glad you watched it. I am. Finally. (laughs) Finally. And we didn't have to pay (laughs) $2,400. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nikki and I are going to go to a bi-weekly schedule for at least the near future, so we'll be back here in two weeks for Nakia's first viewing of Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver from 1976. You talking to me? Literally, no one is talking to you. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> Not if you're going to do that. That was really horrible. <laughs> I deeply apologize. That was terrible. You'll work on that? No, you got two, I'm, I'm you got two weeks. Will you work on that impersonation? There's a lot of shit going on in the world. That's not high. I think this is the most important way for you to be spending your time. Is to work on your Robert De Niro impersonation. That's about it. (laughs) Taxi Driver is currently streaming on Netflix, and it's available to rent from most of the other major streaming services. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, and subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. The sheer virtuosity of Miranda's songwriting has prompted an insane who's who of music legends, hip-hop and otherwise, to catch a performance, including Jay-Z and Beyonce, Eminem, Paul McCartney, Madonna, Nas, David Byrne... I'm sorry. What did you just say? Is it Nas? (laughs) (laughs) The fuck do I know? Because it's fucking Nas. I'll, I'll do that again. No, I we're, want you. You have to. That. No, you have no, to keep that in, that Michael. Please, no, you have to keep that, that in. No, People need to know that you just that said Nas. No, and I cannot stress how disrespectful that fucking was to me. I can't. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. You I, have, cut, I have editing powers. You cannot cut that out. I have editing you cannot powers. Cut, I'm cutting that okay, out. Okay, that's some bullshit. You cannot redact <laughs> the fact that you said Nas because that's. It's, it is a critical moment in our relationship and in this conversation that you said Naz, and I think it's important that you keep it in. I misspoke. Nope. You thought it was Naz. <laughs> You're a white dude who didn't know how to say Naz. That's totally, you know, okay.